just so you know you're in the right seminar, this is the Welcome to the Kingdom and Family, uh, Raising World Changers. So if that's not the seminar you think you're in, now's the time to make a break for it. Um, I'll introduce Karen in a second. Just want to give two uh, little book plugs, or three little book plugs. Years ago, I read a book called The 60 Minute Father by Rob Parsons. Now, they've been rewritten, reintroduced as The 60 Minute Father, 60 Minute uh, Mother, 60 Minute 60 minute Grandparent, all the rest of them. There's a really good series of very simple, practical books that give some good, uh, good advice. These are from Keith Jones. I borrowed them. I highly recommend them. Um, we took uh, some of these things literally implemented with our kids, and we've still got memories. My kids are now 27 and 30, and we still laugh about some of the things we did in here. But they were really good things. I thank God my kids love the Lord. There's another book I literally read on Kindle last week, uh, within 24 hours, which for me is a first. It's not in stock at Keith Jones yet, but they will have a copy on Saturday, and you can buy it on Amazon. Or you can do what I did, download it from Amazon on Kindle for £2.60. And it's called Meet Generation Z. I'll hold it up. I don't know if you can see it. It's a bit of a small screen. But you might think, oh, it's just a book about statistics and information and how we just reach the, the millennials and all that kind of thing. It's far more than that. It's gripping. But I started to read the first chapter and I realized I've had conversations with people in my church, Christians and some non-Christians, and, and I suddenly thought, gosh, that makes sense of the way they think and how they process information. So I would highly recommend that book. This is the best book I've read in the last year, seriously. It's only 100 or so pages, but it's called Meet Generation Z, James Emery White. So that's the book plug's done. So, <coughs> as I say, we're here to do the family seminar. This seminar is for future parents, parents, grandparents, youth and children's workers. In fact, anyone interested in raising kids who are going to grow in the kingdom of God as, in, as individuals, but also to be influencers in this world. You know, many of us are shaped, aren't we, by the people who have spoken into our lives and influence, influenced us. So you might ask the question, well then, who is our speaker? Who is Karen Todd to speak into this situation? Well, Karen's official bio in the handbook, as you will have read, says this, that she's an author, speaker, and trainer with many years' experience in, in parenting and family support. She consults on national projects and teaches on family at Moreland's Theology College. Karen is married with three teenage daughters and is a member of God First Church in Christchurch. But there's more to Karen than her brief modest bio actually says. Some say, and rightly so, that Karen is the brains behind the Fusion Parenting course and with the wisdom of her husband Gary, the long-suffering gentleman on the end, <laughs> is half the brains of the Ultimate Marriage course. So she, woo, woo indeed, definitely. Uh, Karen also runs the marketing department for Moreland's uh, Theology College in Christchurch and is the MD of Simplicate, which is a concept development digital agency. Or in plain English, she helps people write books, start projects, and market them successfully. Does that sum it up rightly? Yeah, that's in plain English for people like myself. So please do listen carefully as to as what Karen has to say because it's well worth hearing. Okay, let's give Karen a warm welcome. It's over to you. Bless you. Good morning, everyone. So, can you hear me? That sounds good. Okay, it's great. It's great to be here. Um, I really, really, really love this subject, and I actually, by choice, would probably keep you here for the whole weekend so that we could talk about it and unpack it. But we've probably only got about 40 minutes, so I'm just going to touch on it and see if I can bring it to life a little for you guys. So I actually am really excited to be here, and I'm, I'm thrilled to look out and see a tent full of people with the potential of what could happen in advancing the kingdom just by looking around in this place. And I actually believe that if every single person represented here today were to truly give their all to God, if they were to say, do you know what, God, whatever this looks like for me, I am all in for you, and I want to follow you wherever you take me. If every single one of us in this room today were able to say, whatever it looks like, all of me, I'm in for you, and I'm following you, the advance of the kingdom from this tent alone would be phenomenal. And that really excites me. And yet, if we get to have influence over others, now that might be our children, it might be that we get to disciple people, or we have accountability relationships, if all of us have one person we get to influence, just think of the impact. And the impact that that is in our communities, 
in our churches, in business, in government, in schools, in the nation and in other nations is so exciting for the advance of the kingdom. So that's why I am particularly excited to be talking today on this subject. Now you have to bear with me if I look down because I haven't got a stand. So, But what I want to clarify to start with is actually being a world changer, I don't think it's got much to do with geography. And I think sometimes when we think of a subject like this, we think about who are we raising up to send off and send out to influence the nations. But actually, I believe being a world changer is about understanding who God is and who God says we are. And when we really grasp that, we have an incredible ability to transform the world. And if we get to influence others and we can help them to know who they are in Christ, then the world will be transformed in this generation through us all, regardless of how old you and I are and how old those that we're influencing are. Now, the Bible talks about world changers a lot. And um, I'm actually really pleased that this isn't a preach because I don't know which story in the Bible I would choose to preach on with this subject because there's so many that have been such a huge influence in my life. If we think about just Genesis alone, if we go into Genesis and we think about the story of Joseph, we think about the story of Abraham, they are phenomenal stories. If we think about Noah, and when we start to unpack some of those stories, we see the ridiculousness of what some of those guys did. We see the faith that they had for bizarre circumstances. I mean, when we think about, I think, is it Topi that mentioned last night about the Red Sea? And he sort of detailed it a little bit. And you think, actually, when you take a step back and you look at some of these stories in the Bible, they are stupid. I mean, the level of faith that was needed for the things that these guys did to advance the kingdom was ridiculous. There was no logic, there was no sense in what these people were doing. In order to advance the kingdom, they had to be prepared to be stupid. They had to be prepared to go out of their comfort zone and they had to be prepared to have people judge them and for them to look crazy. And we get the benefit of reading the Bible and hearing the stories and the outcome and the influence and the amazing breakthrough. But all of those people had their real life experiences where they were stepping into the unknown. They were stepping into situations. They were having to step and take action in faith for things that were totally unknown and into circumstances where no one had been before. And they would have come up against it. They would have been accused of things, they would have been ridiculed, they would have been, um, probably their character would have been um, spoken about in a really negative and cynical way. And so when we think about raising world changers, we realize that it's not just following the path where someone else has been. We are talking about building people with a pioneering spirit that are willing to go into places that have not been, that are willing to look stupid, and that are willing to be fools for the kingdom of God. And I love that. And one of the reasons I love that is because God's taken me on my own journey where being stupid and being judged and being a fool has has started to become part of my normal, where I've had people say, you cannot do that. And actually, if I did not know who God was and who he says I am, I would not have done those things because they are stupid most of the time. And uh, I don't think that that's my natural default setting. I think I'm quite a sensible, thought-out person. And yet, by going to God, do you know what, God? I'm all in for you. I don't want to do mediocre. If I believe what the Bible says, then you have all of me and I will go wherever you say, and I will do whatever you say, because otherwise, I might as well just drop it all and just live in a worldly way. It's either all or nothing for me. And so, the Bible has so many stories, so many. If we get into the Bible, we can just see um, world changers throughout the whole of the narrative of the Bible. 
And if we think about the New Testament and we read Acts, we see that the phenomenal um, impact on the early church that happened through Acts. Now, like I say, I'm, I'm actually in a way quite pleased that this is a seminar. I can just chat rather than having to preach because I really would, wouldn't know which... Um, which part of the Bible to choose because there's so many. But I, also do, I do want to draw your attention to something in 1 Peter 3.15. And in 1 Peter 3.15, so I'm not going to misquote it because um, if this is being recorded. So in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So when we think about raising world changes, that, all of that verse is very, very significant. But particularly, I think, do it with gentleness and respect. Because sometimes when we get very excited and we feel like God's called us to do something, we can sometimes do that with uh, such aggression that we can cause damage along the way. And when we are trying to raise and nurture those that are going to transform the world, it's really helpful if we can um, help them to learn how to do that with some gentleness and respect as well. Essentially, understanding our identity in God is what it's about. Because God will change the world through each and every one of us. And even though we get to impact and influence others, he's also going to use us to transform the world. And understanding who God is will be the solid rock that we get to stand on. And therefore, helping others to understand who God says they are will be the solid rock that they can stand on. And I think it's one of the biggest privileges and also one of the biggest legacies that we can have is to really help our young people, whether they're our children or people we're influencing, to understand who God is and who he says they are. And I think, that actually, because God really likes to partner with us. If we look at the stories uh, that are scattered throughout the Bible, he partners with his children in transforming the world. And he loves to do it. He loves to include us in the journey. He loves to include us in the story. Because actually, in our weakness, his name is glorified. When we stand in his goodness and we take steps of faith and we see the breakthrough come for his kingdom, we know we can't, we can't say we did it in our own strength because there's no way it would have happened, especially when things aren't logical. So his name is glorified and he just delights in partnering with us. And that's an incredible privilege. But it also takes us hugely out of our comfort zone. And I'd say, actually, being taken out of your comfort zone is a very fun place to be. It's a little bit scary as well, but it's a very fun place to be. And I would like to challenge you today to say, what fun might you be missing out on right now? What fun that God's got for you and your family and your walk with him, what might you be missing out on today? What might he be challenging you to take that next step into what he's got for you? See, Jesus Christ is our living hope. And essentially, when we understand who he is and who he says we are, really, the only thing that we need to do is be obedient to what he says the next step is for us. It's as simple as that. We just need to be obedient. It's not really about what he's asking of us or where he's asking us to go. It's just about, are we willing to be obedient? So today, I would like us to look at some helpful pointers about raising world changes. Now, if you get to influence somebody, whether that's your children or whether it's people who you get to disciple, whose lives you get to speak into, I would say to you, please, 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 regularly remind them of who they belong to. Regularly remind them of what God says about them. Regularly remind them that they are children of God. 
and regularly remind them that, that they can do great things in, in him. Now, the enemy will be finding many, many opportunities to regularly remind them of who they're not. He will be finding opportunities to remind your children and those you get to influence. He'll be finding opportunities to say, this isn't right about you, or you'll never be like that person, or people like you don't do things like that. He will find all of his little schemey ways to remind them of who they're not. And it's our role to remind them of who God says they are to regularly remind them of who they are and see what God says about them and be a part of the privilege of bringing it to life. At any opportunity, speak life into them. See, playing a part in someone else's journey, it's such a privilege. And it's really incredible when you then see those people operating out of their true identity as children of God and out of that sense of security. But where does it start? Now, some of you may be thinking, you might have come here because you've got young children and you want to influence how they navigate their way through this world and how they can be impacting the kingdom. Others, it will be spiritual children or just people that you get to speak into their lives and you want to think, well, how do I do that? Maybe you're feeling like you're inadequate to do that. Um, Where does it start? And today what I want to focus on is thinking about the lenses through which we see people. Now, one of my um, greatest pleasures, I would say, in life is to see people through God's lenses. Um, I regularly say, God, show me what you see in this person. Show me what you have put in them, the gifts you've put in them, and help me to pull those out and bring those to life. God, I want to see what you see. I want, I want to see what this person looks like without their fears, without their condemnation, but walking in the trueness of who you say they are. What do they look like when they're totally understanding that and released in that? And actually, for me, it doesn't really matter where their relationship status with Jesus is at that time. If I meet someone just in a work environment, I'm like, God, I want to see what you see. Help me to see what you see. I want to pull that out. I want to bring it to life. And I think sometimes what happens is we go to our natural default lenses and we can see people and we can see situations through our default lenses. And our default lenses aren't always the same as God's. So I, I often thank God, help me to just put my lenses to one side and help me to pick up your lenses and see what you see. And it transforms how you see people. So I want to focus on a couple of those well, three lenses today that actually are quite common in our culture. And they're lenses that we need to be a little bit wary of in order that we can raise our next generation well. You see, we live in a culture, we li- I'm assuming, some of you might not do, but I'm just speaking maybe for the majority, that we live in this culture called Britain. And it's probably, in some ways, very similar to the kingdom culture that we really truly belong to. But in other ways, I think it's miles and miles away. But as children of God, we belong to the kingdom of God. And that's the culture that we need to be cultivating and living out of. What does it say in the Bible? What does God say about the culture in which we belong to? And how do we behave when we belong to that culture, rather than being influenced by this culture that we live in? And one of the, um, just, just to clarify, I do love my country. I'm very, very proud to be English. Um, but I think that sometimes there are some things in our culture uh, which aren't so great. And so one of the lenses that we can very easily pick up uh, in our culture and be influenced by is cynicism. And what cynicism will do is it will partner with negativity and fear and um, it actually manages to kind of crush and stop things coming to life. And I think we need to be very mindful of cynicism, that it's not creeping in as we are raising the next generation. Because cynicism is prevalent in our culture. I mean, we're great at moaning about the weather, 
and we just probably had one of the best summers ever in terms of sunshine and consistency. But how many of us have moaned about that? But we'd be moaning if it's raining, and we're obsessed with talking about the weather as Brits. It's crazy. Um, but this negativity and this cynicism is very rife in our culture. You know, we use it in our humour. We often banter and use sarcasm and we put people down. And um, the reality is that this cynicism is rife in our culture. And if we're not careful, that becomes the lenses that we see things through. And as people start to come to life in who God says they are, if we're not careful, we pick up those cynical lenses and that's what we then communicate with them. And I'd say we need to be saying, God help us. God help us to pick up your lenses and to see what you see and be a part of bringing that to life. And fear is so closely, so closely linked to cynicism. Fear and insecurity. And we can linger in that place for a long time if we're not careful. So, how can we counteract that? Well, I believe that it's important to create an environment in which our young people can grow. And part of that is by using what I think is a heavenly language of encouragement. And I'm not talking about false, insincere praise, oh, you're so wonderful, generic stuff. I'm talking about an environment that encourages the individual and encourages the best out of them, the things that God has put in them. And part of how we can do that is by creating an environment where conversation can be celebrated, where debates can happen, where differences of opinion can be allowed. And um, in our family, we have um, enjoyed that a lot. I come from a family, um, I'm one of four children, and we're all quite individual, and we all have an opinion. And I love that my parents were able to see our individuality and encourage that. And I love that we can have debates and we can have differing opinions, but it doesn't actually affect our relationship. We still love each other and we can have good, healthy, robust debates. Now, in our family unit, we have three, um, uh, still three teenage girls. We've got an adult, but they're still teenagers at the moment. And uh, we have always cultivated an environment where pretty much, no, actually, there's no pretty much, anything can be talked about. And um, we um, learned as they were kind of transitioning from children into teenagers that one of the best things we could do is not react to the conversations they maybe wanted to have or the opinions that they had. Because... By creating an environment where conversations are safe to be had and can be ongoing, you actually create this amazing opportunity for them to wrestle with their values and wrestle with their beliefs in a very, very safe place. So we have had some, um, what others might think quite shocking conversations, but um, we quite like that really. And I think when you cultivate an environment where you can have an opinion and you can um, talk about things, you also create an environment where it's okay to fail. And I think part of, as we nurture the next generation, we need to be building resilience into them. And we need to be helping them to know that it's okay to fail. It's okay to take a risk and it not quite work out. We, d we live very much in a performance culture. I think, again, I don't mean this, uh, uh, it sounds cynical, and I'm talking on cynicism, so that's a bit ironic. But sometimes in our Western churches, we are very good at picking up masks and performing in our church environments. And then, you know, it's almost like Sunday, you get dressed, and then you pick up your mask, and you walk into church, and you are this person. And part of what we need to be developing in our young people is for them to realise, actually... It's okay to be real. It's okay to be you. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be wrestling with some things. But it's really helpful to be authentic and real. And so part of growing the next generation is allowing them to build resilience. And resilience comes through taking risk and them not always working out and being able to go, right, so what am I learning and how do I go forward from here? And being able to process that. 
And one of the things that I feel quite strongly about, and it might just be because I have a little link to a certain Bible college, but I think it's really important that we help our children to own their theology. Now, sometimes it's very easy for people to just go through the Christian life and the Christian walk to hear preaching, to hear teaching, to have worship time, but actually not really know the Bible themselves, not really own their theology. And one of the things I love about teaching in Moorlands is that you have a cross-denominational um, uh, group of students with very different starting points and uh, different ideas. And when you put them in the mix and they need to be able to relationally work together, they have to wrestle and understand their own theology. And most of the time, people come with their theology, which they've picked up because they've been in an environment and they have been told what they believe, but they don't necessarily know it for themselves or they don't own their theology. And as we um, nurture and want to raise world changers, we must encourage them to own their theology, to know what they believe and why, to be able to stand on that because Whatever happens, there will be times when it is tested, and it has to belong to you. You have to own what it is. It's not good enough to have someone else's crumbs. And so sometimes, the way you do that is you listen to people that are very different, or you get a really um, great Bible study, and you just start to delve into it, and you understand well, what this might have been meaning, or what was the context of this. And that's really good for our children to learn how to do, to own their theology and to know their Bible for themselves because they will need it to stand on and they will increasingly need it because of what's going on in our culture. Now, one of the things that I think is really helpful which steps against this, this cynicism and negativity and criticism is to teach our children to see the person, not the circumstance. Now, it's amazing if we develop a heart of compassion for certain scenarios or certain people groups or generically thinking about the poor, but there's a real danger that we teach our children to see the circumstance and so they, they, they get passionate about working with prostitutes or they get passionate about working with addicts or with the poor or they want to go to Africa and save the babies. And they see the circumstances. But beyond those circumstances, there are people. And when those people are no longer in those circumstances, who do they then see? So it's really important that we train our children to see the person in every scenario. Now, in our life, we get to mix with um, all different areas of society. And so we've been in the company of ridiculously wealthy people. Um, and we've been uh, working in um, a favela in um, Brazil and the extreme difference and, and sometimes on the same day we've been in those different environments and the reality is that there are people in all of those circumstances. They are people that God is pursuing and continues to pursue. They are people that God says that is my child and they are so much more than their circumstances. That is not what defines them. Now, I wouldn't want to be defined as something that I've done. I don't actually want to be defined as a wife. I love being a wife, but I don't want that to be my only thing that I'm defined by. I am a child of God, and God has put things in me, and that is what defines me, not these different circumstances. And if I had the background where I had um, been in, say, maybe um, trafficked in the sex trade, I would not want that to be what defines me. I would want what God says to be defines me, to, to define me. And so it's very important that we learn the tension of helping our children to develop a heart of compassion, to see the need, to see the circumstances, but not to be so focused on the circumstances that they stop seeing the person and they just define it. Because the danger with that is that instead of learning empathy skills and being able to come alongside people and release them into who God says they are, 
what happens is they develop skills about fixing people and taking people out of situations. But actually, God defines who those people are. God speaks who they truly are. God takes away those circumstances and says, this is who my child truly is. And I think it's very important that we train our children in that. So that was lens number one, being wary of cynicism and negativity. I'm just going to see how we are for time. We're running out. See, I could keep you here till Tuesday if you like. Okay, so lens number two that we need to be wary of is comparison. Now, if you search the internet, you'll find some awesome quotes about comparison. Comparison's the thief of joy. You'll find quotes by Winston Churchill and lots of different people on comparison. And it is something that robs us in this culture. And it robs us in our church families as well. And often what happens is we will compare our very worst with other people's best. And we will put them in a place where, oh, I could never be like that, or they're so amazing. And we look and we know all of our worst parts and we compare those things. Similarly, we can kind of take comparison in a really unhealthy direction and we can see somebody that we think, oh, they're amazing or they've changed the world here and I want to be like that. I could never be like that. And we use comparison in a way that's so unhealthy for us. So one of the ways that we um, count... Now, I could actually talk on comparison for a very long time. It's one of my favourite subjects. But I'm not going to linger there. You get the idea. Comparison is a little bit of a dangerous lens to be looking through. So how can we counteract that? Um, and one of the things that we get to do when we're influencing the next generation is that we can teach them to be more like him, not more like us. Now, it would worry me if I was trying to teach people to be more like me, because actually there's one of me, and um, it's not all great, and I don't really want others imitating that, and I don't think anyone else would do quite as good a job at being me as I can be at being me, and I'm not going to do as good a job as being you as you are, because funnily enough, we have this amazing designer who knew what he was doing. So when we are influencing, it's so important that we are helping them to be more like Jesus, not more like us. It, otherwise, we're empire building. And that is kind of setting itself up for a, for a collapse, really. Um, it's important, though, to model and inspire, but continuously point them to Jesus. And I think that other people's stories are so helpful. It's so helpful to read about people's journeys and what God has done in their life and where he's taken them. But it should be to inspire, not to imitate. And sometimes the danger is we get a little bit Christian celebrity and we read someone's book and we think, oh, they just transformed this culture or they did this thing with the orphans and, oh, it's amazing and I want to be the next whoever. Um, but actually... We shouldn't be imitating them. We should be imitating God and saying, God, what have you got for us? And we need to be passing that on to our children. God, what has God got for you? Be inspired and learn from these stories, but let's not try to imitate them. And so whatever is going on in our lives, whatever our journey is, whatever our story is, whatever our coming to salvation is, whatever our journey has been since, there's something in each and every one story that will be inspirational and that can be used. And use it to inspire, but don't let them try to imitate you, but inspire them, but include them in your journey. And I decided very early on when I started mentoring and discipling people, and then when I had my own children, that it was very important that they knew that um, I mess up. And so I quite often will share the parts of my journey that are incredible breakthroughs, where we have seen the kingdom of God break in ridiculously. And we have got story upon story upon story of how Father has been so faithful to us. But I will also share the things where I have royally, royally messed up. And sometimes it's been very private. But sometimes it's not been so private. It's been pretty public. And uh, it's good to share your stories with those that you're influencing so that they can see that, do you know what, that doesn't then define you. 
the successes don't define you and the failures don't define you. God defines you. So share your stories and then give them opportunities to collect their own. So in our family, um, we have been on quite an adventure for the last 15 years. And that has taken us um, into a cross-cultural scenario. And um, it's brought us back um, with quite a crash. And um, one of the things that has been um, more recent is until about six months ago, the last three and a half years of our life, we have been um, dependent on God breaking in at the last minute or after the last minute quite often in our finances. So we have been living by, we were living by faith in our business and we were short constantly. And so for three and a half years, we've had to pray our monthly money in. And sometimes we've had awesome stories and other times it's not come through. I'm here today, I'm breathing, I've eaten, I'm alive. I can tell you God is good in that. It's a journey. It's not always pleasant. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's draining. Sometimes it brings out the best in you. Sometimes it brings out the worst. But our children have been on that journey with us. Their whole life they've been on these crazy adventures that we've done in God. For the last three and a half years, I could tell you stories about 10 grand being given to us or 5,000 coming through the post. Um, I can tell you fantastic stories, but what I want to share with you is a story from about nine months ago where it really did look like game was a game game over for us and uh, we were sat as a family of five and we i don't know why we did this but for some reason we sat on the kitchen floor don't know why got a really nice kitchen it might be that so we rent this house and it looked like game over it looked like we just could not carry on anymore everything had been drained there was no nothing coming in we'd missed the deadline for paying bills for paying rent and no work was coming and nothing was coming and we sat on that kitchen floor and it had gone past the 11th hour it had gone past the 12th hour and we were like okay guys this is real now we've got to look at what our next steps are And as we sat there, the five of us, and let me just tell you, we are not some super holy family. There's quite a few people here today that know us, so if you've got any wrong illusions, we are not a super holy family. Um, We are, in fact, my kids say that when I moved to Brazil, I'm I'm saying this on tape, when when we moved to Brazil with our children um, in faith, my kids said, Mum, we'd never heard you swear. When you moved to Brazil, it's like you got Tourette's, you just didn't stop swearing. And I was like, I don't know whether it was just the, um, the freedom of people not understanding the English swear words, I don't know. But it just kind of erupted out of me. Um, so there you go. So we are not some super highly perfect family. And, um, but on this, on this day, we sat on the kitchen floor and all five of us just went through and um, we worshipped God and we praised God and we said, God, you are so good to us. Whatever happens, if we are homeless, you are still God. You are still good. You were here for us. You have done this. We love you. We, we absolutely worship what you have done in our lives. We would not change this journey. We would never just pick up and do safety and security. We follow you. Whatever this looks like, whatever the next step is, we follow you. We love you, Jesus. And, you know, that moment... I'm not really normally very emotional, but that's just like, whoa. Um, <laughs> that moment, I was like, God, this is it. I love the 10 grand story, the five grand story, the other stories where he's come through, but this is it. These girls know who they are in God, and they know who God is, and they don't fear what the next part of the journey looks like. And I tell you, that is 15 years of living it, and being it and journeying it with them that's got them there. And I have got no idea where I'm up to on my notes, but I felt like it was right to say that. So when we get to influence, we need to know as well when to challenge and when to intercede. And my experience of God is that it's an incredible privilege to be involved in influencing someone else's life and their journey. And we need to remember that privilege. And sometimes 
we can take it too far and think, oh, we've got this great opportunity to speak into someone's life and correct them. Now, I am not saying don't nurture and train your children. That's not what I'm saying. But when we are building people into world changers, actually, I really believe that we need to intercede when we see things and go to God and say, actually, God, I'm seeing this, but now show me how to pray for this and how to challenge it if that's right. Because one thing I know from working with a lot of, t- a lot of people is that most people do not have a hard time believing their inadequacies. They don't have a hard time believing the lies that the enemy will plant. They don't have a hard time thinking they're not good enough. They do have a hard time knowing who God says they are and believing that and taking the next step. So I want our role to be letting them know that part and just be careful about what we're challenging and when and when it's best to intercede. And then seek the prophetic so that they can own their own stories, own their own prophetic journey. Be quick to remind them who they are and who they belong to. Be very slow to bring the correction. You see, God is kind. And I know in my life, he's kind when he says, do you know what? That's not who you are. Come on. This is who I say you are. You don't need to dabble with that. You don't need to spend time in that sin. You don't need to self-indulge. This is who I say you are. And God does it in a kind way. He doesn't do it to humiliate us or embarrass us or put us down. He does it in a kind way. So let's make sure that we are honoring that. And I want to say to you, love the best out of people rather than point the worst out in them. Love the best out of people rather than pointing the worst out in them. See, many advances of the kingdom don't happen because of what somebody has heard spoken over them. It has absolutely stopped them moving on and advancing the kingdom because they've believed something negative. Let's not be those people. And so, onto our lens three, circumstances. So we've had cynicism, we've had comparison, and now we have circumstances. And circumstances, this can actually be such a killer of our dreams in this culture, because we put such a high emphasis on security, on achieving, on owning, on having, and on this negative cynicism that thinks, oh, but what if that doesn't work out? And so we must be very careful that we do not pick up the lenses of circumstances and see everything through that. We need to see through God's lenses. So let's cultivate an environment of faith. And and I would challenge you, actually, finance is a great starting point because uh, that's a lot of fun, and it challenges where our security is. So take a step, take a step of faith, do something risky with your finances, and see how that helps to cultivate some faith. But one of the things that we must, must, must know is that we want to understand the nature of God rather than understand all that God's doing. Because in order to be world changers and to raise world changers, We really need to know who God is and who he says we are, but we don't need to understand what he's doing. If we go back to those stories in the Bible, I mean, let's just go Noah for a moment. I mean, how weird and crazy is that? Now, if you had to understand that, you wouldn't have even, he wouldn't have even ordered the wood. Let's be real. I mean, it's so, so crazy, that story. So we cannot expect to understand everything that God's doing. And I actually love that often what God asks me to do, it challenges, what do I think theologically about this? Because it doesn't make sense. But when you know the nature of God and you know who he is, you can take stupid, wild risks in his name that you don't have to understand. You just have to trust him. Now, I also don't want you all to go and do really stupid things and say, oh, it was that woman at that conference thing that we went to. So I am a great fan of the story of Moses where Moses was asked to um, lift up his hands and he had an Aaron and he had a her on either side. And I would say if you are raising people to be world changers, they are going to come up against it and they need to know that they've got people for them. 
They need to know, even if it's just one or two people, that there are people that are for them, that believe in them, that see God's hand in their life, that see God working in their life. So they need an Aaron and a her, and you could be that. You can be that as well. You can encourage them. We have had some people that have been so faithful in our journey who have been incredible when it really is foolish, the stuff we're doing. But in us, we know the nature of God and we know that we're just being obedient and we're trusting him. So find those errands and find those hers because you will not get anywhere if you have to understand it all. And that deadly question of why, that word why, if we, it's a good question to ask God, but if we hang around in that place too much, it's a stumbling block. It's a huge stumbling block. And again, that will be so many people that don't move on into all that God's got for them because of this stumbling question, why? And it's good to ask, but it's good to process, and it's good to process disappointment when things didn't work out how you expected them to. Being a pioneer is sometimes a lonely place and you need to know the goodness of God in that loneliness. You need to know the goodness of God when there's misunderstanding and I think when we are raising world changers they really do. This is why them owning their theology is so important. They need to know who God is and who God says they are in order to move forward because sometimes everyone will have an opinion about what you're doing and it won't be very pleasant. And it's, and it's, it's a tension, pioneering and moving into new things and new territory. It's such a tension. But if God has called people to do that, then there has to be a sense of identity and security that whatever comes my way, whatever cynicism, criticism comes my way, actually, I am going to remain faithful to him and I'm going to be tuned in to the, what I hear from God above all other things. Because actually... When you pioneer, you hit boundaries. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes you cause disruption because that's the nature of, of moving on forward. And sometimes it comes with a lot of disapproval. And there, you know, we have to know who God says we are and know the approval of heaven if we're pioneering forward. And, if we, and our children need to know that. They need to know that they can stand in the approval of heaven if they're being obedient to God, even when the world and the Christian world is screaming at them. And it's hard to see that when it happens in your own children's lives. I thought, you know, as you do, I always think about Shrek with the onion layer. It's like another layer. I thought God has done a huge amount in my life in terms of me um, just not worrying about pe what people think. So my natural default is to keep everyone happy and be a pleaser. And I love, I, love, I love people being happy. It's a good thing. But like most of our kind of good qualities, there's, a, there's an Achilles heel to it, which becomes a weakness. And I thought I'd done a lot in this area of kind of not worrying so much about what other people think, but just making sure, you know, I've got God's approval, it's okay. And then last year, I came up against some scenarios in my kid's life, and I was like, oh, man, I don't know anything. And God, in the wonderful way that God does, kept popping out Bible verses, which I'm like, are you sure that's in the Bible? I've never seen that before. I'm sure I've never seen that. And just kind of saying, are you still worried about what man thinks? Or are you worried about what I think? And suddenly I was like, it's a whole new layer when you're talking about your adult child and what things are being said or heard or told about her or all of this stuff. And it's like, do I, do I need to, to get up and, and make it right? Or do I go, no. It doesn't matter. You don't need the approval of man. Leave her in God's hands. Leave her in God's hands and give her back to me. And actually, what does God say? What does God say? What defines? What really defines? And I know that that is not the last layer. I know the whole time I'm living and breathing, there's going to be more layers that come off. And the things that we think, yeah, I think I've worked that one out now. It's like, oh, it comes and it grabs you. So finally, just to wrap up, um, I want to um, just mention, but not give any credit to the enemy. We need to um, help our children and 
young people and those we get to influence, we need to help them be aware of the enemy and of his schemes. But let's not give him too much credit. Um, you know, one of my favorite verses is John 10.10, 10, and the last part which says about, I have come to give you life and life to the full. But the first part talks about just being mindful of the enemy and his schemes. Now, the enemy is very well rehearsed at lies, at fear, at kind of messing around with disappointment and circumstances. And uh, he's pretty good at kind of finding what he can jump on the back of and have his little meddling ways with. So it's important that as we raise our children, that they are aware of these schemes and they get to learn how to kind of recognize that actually that is a lie from the enemy. I just refuse to accept that. I am going to cut that off. And one of the things that is an incredible way to do this is actually to teach our children, our young people, to learn to laugh in the face of the enemy because it breaks power. His schemes, he might be well rehearsed, but actually he's only got a few things that he works with. And it tends to be lies, and it tends to be fear, and those sorts of things. But actually, he's not got a huge array of resources that, he, uh, uh, that are new. And so allowing our children and helping our children to see the schemes that he does have, and then stand up against it, and laugh in the face of it, and say, you know what, you say that about me, but this is what my God says, and laugh at him. Teach your children to laugh in the face of the enemy. Now, one area we've seen this happen in, um, in our home is um, in, and I don't want to freak anyone out, but basically in the activities of the enemy, we've had some strange goings on in our home. And uh, years ago, that would have freaked me out. I'd have been so like taking steps back, retreating. But I realized that the enemy has no power over us and he only ever reacts to our advances. He doesn't actually have any control. It's not like he's suddenly gone, oh, that woman, I'm going to attack her. He's only re reacting to our advances. But who are we advancing with? We're advancing with the kingdom. We're advancing with the power of God. He has already won the victory. We don't need to be scared. And so he was trying to rattle us, and we had bizarre stuff going on with um, things happening in our house and things jumping across the room and light bulbs and stuff. But my, uh, one of my daughters, is um, she's very prophetically uh, wired and lots of dreams. And um, so uh, the enemy was trying to torment her in the night time. And uh, she actually, she's had that. I mean, she's, since she was about two or three, um, she started to have very um, visual dreams. And, and she, she kind of knew the Bible and would, would be able to describe these very well at a very young age. And um, she also had night terrors. And we recognized um, this kind of spiritual battle that was going on. And so we used to do things like put scripture, like post-it notes around her room, and we would encourage her to how to pray and know that God is victorious and stuff. So she's journeyed throughout her whole childhood with this dreams and this kind of like, you know, this enemy trying to stop her dreaming, basically, because, because those dreams and the interpretations they treat, those dreams bring life to other people. So he doesn't want that. But um, about, I think it was last year, wasn't it? She, she started to get these um, demonic visitations in her bedroom. And uh, one day... Are you right with me telling this? <laughs> it's too late. Uh, one day, <laughs> she, uh, she comes into our bedroom, and she's like, Dad, there's a demon trying to torment me in my room. And he's like, okay, yeah, right, what do you want me to do? It's in the middle of the night. She's like, I need you to come and tell it to leave in the name of Jesus. He's like, okay. So he goes, he's like, okay. She, it, he can't see it. She can see where it was. And he's like, tell me where it is. She's like, it's there. She's like, okay, right. Da -la -la -la. She's like, no, no, no. You need to open the window and you need to tell it to leave and you need to shut that window behind and claim this victoriously, this place for Jesus Christ. And he's like, I think his reaction was, uh, well, can't it just go through the wall? I mean, why does it? <laughs> She's like, Dad, trust me. So he did. And uh, he did that. And then... Um, um, she, he was, she was like, oh, you know, yeah, it's gone. 
And then she was like, oh, there's an angel there now. And he's like, oh, great, can I go back to bed? Um, <laughs> but the reality is that we, you know, we've had seasons where that type of activity has been, it, it's been going on for a while, but she wasn't bothered by it. She's not scared by it because she knows who she belongs to. And she knows the last-ditch attempt of the enemy to try to freak her out to stop her dreaming the dreams that God's got for her. And so we need to teach our children to know the enemy, but not to be scared of the enemy and not to put him in a bigger position than what he truly is, because we belong to the kingdom of heaven. We belong to the winning side, and God is so for us. So let's be really quick in all situations to run to the Father and get his perspective. So I want to challenge you to say, actually, God Show me what you see and help me to wear your lenses. Help me to recognize when I'm picking up cultural lenses or default lenses that actually are not what you see and what, what you're saying about people. Help me to pick up your lenses. And actually, if you get to play a part in raising a world changer, please encourage them. Encourage them to embrace the journey because it's that journey which builds all the fabulous times with God and the stories and the, the highs and the lows that make you so strong in him. And enjoy what an incredible privilege it is to be able to celebrate others and be obedient and to see them take and advance the kingdom, whether that is cross-culturally into other nations or whether that is in the streets and the homes and the villages and the towns that they're in. It is not that geography about being world changers. It's about us knowing who we are so that we can transform the world wherever God takes us. So I want to just give you an opportunity, um, if you want to pray today, um, I've got some great buddies here from um, my church who are very happy to just stay behind and pray with you if that's something you'd like. And um, I don't know why you turned up today and uh, whether that's what you expected or not, but I felt that's what God had for me to bring for you. So, um, But I just want to ask three things. And if this is you and you've got time and you want someone to come and pray, just come straight up. Don't worry about politeness and stuff like that. I'm like that at the buffet. It's like, let's do not do British. Let's just get there. There's food. Come on. So let's pretend it's a buffet that they're offering here and just come forward if you want prayer. And um, the first thing is I, I want to just give you an opportunity to think about if there is any of your own disappointments or lies maybe that you've been believing or any sense of inadequacy in terms of trying to raise a world changer or fears that would just they just need releasing they just need releasing and if that if there's anything that resonates with you in that just come forward and ask a prayer that's the first thing then i want to say are there dreams that actually you hold not just the people that you want to influence but that you hold that somehow they've been crushed back down they've been squashed that you haven't being able to release or someone's spoken negatively over you and you've retreated are there dreams that you hold because these guys will pray those dreams into life with you and thirdly it's more a question of this whole sense of lenses how am I looking at people and if that's something you feel you struggle with or you naturally gravitate to maybe cynicism or comparison or thinking through circumstances and you want to say, do you know what, God, I want to be picking up your lenses and seeing things, then come forward for prayer. And we'll be hovering around for a little bit and um, I'll hand back over to you, Andy. You know, if you've been to, um, are we on? Where are we on? If you've been to a few uh, Bible weeks or conferences, it's great you sit there, you make your notes, you tap into your iPad, you go home, you get into life, and you forget about them. A couple of years later, you're clearing out a cupboard and you think, don't need that. Let me encourage you, if you've made notes or listen again online or tell other people you might think this might be appropriate for, listen online when it goes online after West Point. Make some differences in your own lives and the lives of others by going over this stuff and thinking, okay, what can I change? How can I apply this? How can I implement that? Why don't we just pray and then say, uh, 
Gary, Karen and the team are down here to pray with anybody who wants to. And there's no mad rush. Let's just pray. Father, we've heard of a lot of really good things this morning, far more than just parenting. And we pray, Father, that you'll help us to hear and believe you, to recognize who we are in Christ, that what you say about us is what matters, not what others say about us, not what the enemy says about us, not even what we say about ourselves, but, God, what you say about ourselves. And Father, I pray that you help us to respond to you. I pray you'll seal in our hearts and minds the things that we need to apply and the things that we need to do to live God-honoring lives. Father, I thank you for the promise in your word that you're in the process of transforming us into the image of the Son whom you love, Jesus Christ. God, we want to be more Christ-like. Father, I pray that you'll bless everybody who listens to this, whether it's here today or at home later. God, we pray that you'll heal the brokenhearted, that, Lord, you'll comfort the wounded, that, God, those who have lost their dreams or, Lord, their dreams have been crushed or buried or forgotten, that, God, that your Holy Spirit would revitalize them, would breathe life into them, that you'd bring healing to our hearts and minds and emotions, and that, God, that you would do mighty things. God, I pray that not just that we will influence world changers and kingdom builders, but, God, that we would be world changers and kingdom builders. Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you. You are free to go. Thanks, Karen.